Hello friends, I am Ashish Tabari, founder and CEO of Axomize, and to our new listeners, welcome to our old ones, welcome back. I have quite a personality in-house today, uh, someone who has been in the industry for many, many years and has been involved in a range of foundational activities that are impacting all of us in the industry. Friends, I'm talking about Mikhil Lichthart today, who is uh, here in-house. Hi Mikhil, how are you? Hi Ashish. Doing fine. Thank you very much to have me on your on your podcast. No, thank you for uh, taking time out from your busy schedule to come and talk to us. Um, I'm sure we have enough interesting things to cover today. Uh, I have been um, a user of um, of Verific, which is where you are, and you've been with Verific for quite some time. But before we dive deep into Verific and uh, and what you've been doing currently. I want to actually um, talk about some of the fascinating things you've been doing and your journey towards uh, science and engineering, uh, if you don't mind. So where were you born? How did you get into engineering? Okay, that's an interesting uh, question. I'm happy to, uh, to answer. So my accent um, is, is Dutch. I was born and raised in the Netherlands, um, in Amsterdam to be precise. And um, in my earlier years in elementary school and high school, I always had an interest in, um, in physics and mathematics. I liked to tinker around with electronics. Um, my father was a um, technician, was trained as a technician before he became a more of a business person, trajectory that many people, of course, follow. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I was, was guided. Uh, or at least there was the opportunity to do things uh, like that. Um, so after high school, I subsequently went to Delft University of Technology in the uh-huh. Netherlands, and I started studying electrical engineering. Um, after I graduated there with a master's uh, in double E, I got myself a job offer from a company in Silicon Valley. And we're now talking about um, the mid-80s, 1985, uh-huh. uh-huh. So that was not that common that uh, people would cross the ocean and, um, <clears throat> and move to the valley. And uh, I thought it was a wonderful opportunity um, as during my last two years of studies, I got involved in the, um, <clears throat> integrated uh, system design, semiconductors, which were then still fairly, fairly new with... Um, to micron um, I see. Uh, with IC with mm-hmm. and, um, and so that's how I crossed the ocean and ended up in the San Francisco Bay Area. I was uh, employed by a company called Signetics, um, which later was acquired by Philips Semiconductors, uh-huh. nowadays known as NXP. Uh-huh. And yeah. I was working in their in their research. Uh, Doing specifically research on um, on electronic design automation and testability, um, I then had the great fortune to um, be deployed as a visiting scholar at Stanford University um, here in the in the area, and uh, that was was a marvelous time. I spent uh, almost two years there working with Professor Nani Demichelli and his graduate students. Uh-huh. And we worked on uh, on high level synthesis. Um, I was um, 
working also with um, people in Berkeley, uh, UC Berkeley, Corey Hall, who were doing logic synthesis, um, program MIS, and um, and that lay a, a very nice foundation for this, this new wave of electronic design automation that was uh, was coming in, in logic synthesis and uh, and optimization. Right. Yeah. A company like Synopsys was founded at that time and powerhouse in the in the 25 years uh, since. After a little while, uh, I was approached by a startup company called Exemplar Logic, and there they did logic synthesis for FPGAs, which was a brand new activity. Which year was this? Uh, sorry, which year was this? When you joined? Oh, we're, <clears throat> we were talking about uh, ninety-one. I see. Mm. It was five years, five years into my California adventure, and by that time it was not an adventure anymore. It was just a steady state. Coming from Northern Europe, I had become to love. The California, the California weather, mm-hmm. the fact that I could wake up in the morning and see blue skies and knew it was not <laughs> going to rain that day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to um, Exemplar Logic, um, early um, employee in the, on their R&D staff, um, developing logic synthesis for, for FPGAs. And now we're talking when Xilinx was still the, the Xilinx 2000 series. Right. 3000 series. Oh, I, see. Hmm. Um, I would say well, nowadays I look back at that and say, well, that was in the days that it was all still simple. <laughs> um, I think if we look at uh, semi- yeah, FPGA semiconductors uh, nowadays, uh, they're, they're quite uh, complicated uh, devices mm-hmm. uh, compared to those, to those early days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also that um, exemplar that I got to work for the first time with Rob Decker. Uh-huh. The founder and CTO of Terrific Design Automation. Right. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we recruited uh, Rob, um, like me. He's a fellow Dutchman, and uh, he moved to California as well. And was another contributor on our technical uh, technical staff. There. Mm-hmm. And it was at Exemplar Logic that Rob was exposed for the first time to. Languages like VHDL and uh, and Verilog, and he became the point person over time in developing and maintaining the front ends at Exemplar. Um, Exemplar was eventually acquired by Mentor Graphics. And I think we're now talking about 1996, and uh, both Rob and I stuck around for uh, for a little while, and then. Oh, for first several years even, uh, but then we both left to do something else, and it was about '99. Um, Rob left to and the founder of Verific Design Automation. Um, I had left a little bit earlier um, for something completely different. Uh, I joined a startup company in asynchronous logic, which was a, a wonderful um, technical journey. Which company was and this? Which company was this? The, the company was called TCS Logic, uh-huh. and they had a tech and they had a technology called Null Convention Logic, um, invented uh, by um, Carl Fand. And, um, very interesting um, technology. Uh-huh. Um, we managed to um, to build a company, and the company had at the end a working semiconductor prototype, and we had a working EDA flow. But unfortunately, from a 
business perspective, it did not really um, solve the, the problems that we expected it to solve. The ex expectations were facing this logic were, were great in terms of power consumption and the need that there's less and less for, for power, mm -hmm. um, the regular power. But as I say, at the long term, it, it, the business was not, uh, not there. Uh -huh. I see. And so when that adventure um, came to an end, Rob had worked steadily on his uh, on his business uh, at Verific, and um, he asked me, he said, hey, Michiel, would you be interested in teaming up with me here and, uh, and see if we can build this out? And uh, I said, well, why don't we give it <clears throat> give it a try? And here we are, 16 years later, a thriving business, 20 people worldwide, um, more than 75 active customers, uh -huh. which I think are, are happy customers. And what we estimate is more than 60,000 users um, worldwide through our um, our licensees. Right. So you're, so you're talking about now your current role at Verific, right? So uh, correct. Right. So so let's talk about Verific a little bit. So I've already been using Verific products indirectly because um, you know a lot of the formal verification tools I think use Verific. Um, tell us what does at what is the actual core product that Verific builds? So for people who may not have heard of Verific, it might be a good thing to know. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, so Verific is not a traditional EDA company in the sense that we do not have an end user product. It's not there is no EDA tool that we uh, that we sell, but instead. We have built this building block, which is a system verilog and VHDL and UPF parser and elaborators that we license to EDA and FPGA and semiconductor companies for use in their products. So, for instance, if you would be looking at, um, at Xilinx and Altera FPGA design software and you read system verilog or VHDL in there, then actually that piece of software that takes care of that is provided by, by Verific. That is our core business, and it's also our only business. Um, there's nothing else that, uh, that we do. It's interesting how your core business is around something so foundational as a parser. And you mentioned System Verilog, Verilog, um, and VHDL, and UPF, um, but I'm just Going back to some of the things you were saying earlier about uh, when you started your career in high-level synthesis, and high-level synthesis is uh, mainstream these days, and one of the things that people are also talking about is um, C to silicon. Um, and what are your thoughts on that? And um, are you making any products that allow people to parse system C? Um, well, I, I can start with answering that that. Last question, no, we do not have any um, um, C++ parsers or any, anything like that. Um, but indeed, in the early days at Stanford, um, the team that I was part of was building a, um, a high-level synthesis tool based on the language hardware C. Mm -hmm. And um, and that is that was really an academic uh, effort. And, Research effort, so it never became a part of a of a company or an actual tool that people could uh, could use. And already in those days, I noticed that the moment that we wanted to be really sure that something was going to work well, we 
migrated more towards um, RTL implement RTL descriptions rather than C descriptions for, for chips. But hey, that was it was a research uh, topic, so everybody had to uh, to learn. Um, since then, there have been many efforts in the industry to build high-level um, synthesis tools, mm -hmm. and some of them have been uh, successful. Um, for instance, if we look back many years, you may remember the efforts from IMAC in Belgium with the Cathedral uh, project, mm -hmm. and, and they were targeted towards a specific architecture. And in, that, uh, in their case, it was uh, DSP, D Digital Signal Processing. Right. And I, th and I think those were quite successful. But if um, people tried to do high-level, general high-level synthesis, it did not always come, uh, come to fruition. Although I think there are plenty of, um, of good products uh, in the market, market uh, nowadays. Mm -hmm. But somehow they have not taken over the RTL mm. design methodology. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly um, an evolving market and it's growing at a fast pace. Um, and I hear more and more companies adopting different facets of high-level synthesis. Uh, but let's come back to Verific again. So what is fascinating is that you said the only thing you do is focus on parsers for, um, let's say, four languages. And I'm quite amazed as to how many customers you've got just building parsers. <laughs> and that too, um, you know, like in terms of software, there's far more languages. And you know, if you were in a market building parsers for C and Python and Java and whatnot, then you can imagine. Um, but is this is this a big enough market? I mean, is this a sizable chunk of revenue stream for Verific? Um, yeah, for, for us, for us, it definitely is. And but it's 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 not a market segment that will will ever um, take you um, IPO, right? As I mentioned, we're we're a twenty person company, and um, it's a really nice business for us, and we deliver a very good service to our customers. And quite often, we, I also look at us. Okay, we have this this product based on the IEEE standards. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the end, we're also very much a services company. We deliver a service to our, our licensees. They look at us as an extension of their own R&D. Uh -huh. In the early days of EDA um, products that were supporting Verilog and VHDL, mm -hmm. every company had its own um, software development team focusing right. on VHDL and Verilog implementation. Uh -huh. And a couple of people, four or five maybe, yeah. uh, you had to build um, test suites for it. And mm -hmm. a lot of efforts uh, were duplicated. And that was very costly. But at the same time, it also was a distinguishing factor. If you were able to deliver good Verilog support and your competitor was not, now that is a reason why a customer will select your EDA tool and purchase your EDA tool. Right. But, over, <clears throat> but over time, that differentiation started to um, to disappear, uh -huh. and I think that is the um, uh, the market opportunity that uh, that Rob Decker noticed and said, "Hey, everybody has to do it. They all have to do it from the same specification, which are the IEEE standards. Mm -hmm. um, it's not really easy to do it. Yeah. So there's there's significant effort uh, involved. So let's see if I build this, if 
I can sell it to, to multiple people. And um, that clearly became, uh, that was, was, was a true insight. Right. And so you get to a point where um, support, good support of the input languages, Verilog, VHDL, and later on system Verilog, um, all, almost becomes like basic hygiene. Mm -hmm. You know, if you, if you bathe every morning, nobody will compliment you on mm -hmm. the fact that you don't smell. Mm -hmm. But and the same thing is if you support your system Verilog and your VHDL, fine. It's mm -hmm. now anticipated, accepted. Mm -hmm. You cannot come in the door with this poor support in that uh, that area. So Verilog and to large extent system Verilog and VHDL, you know, they, they do change a bit, and you know there are features coming in every year or four years. Um, but but the major chunk of the language doesn't really change that much. Um, how do you actually go about? putting together a test infrastructure to see that your parser isn't malfunctioning? How do you find um, any bugs in your parser? That was one well, of the questions that, yeah. <laughs> that I was... Um, so when a new language, uh, version of the language comes out, the first step we do is a line-by-line -line, um, comparison between the two. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and um, Committees help with that by providing redlined uh, versions, and we we have our own engineers, including myself, on some of these uh, some of the IEEE uh, committees. I'm part of the System Verilog committee. Um, we're on the UVM committee. Um, uh, we're on the UPF committee. Um, so when the LRM comes out, we make that line by line uh, differences. Uh -huh. For every difference, we we write test cases yeah. and that's how we do our our development right um then of course we have all the test cases from the previous versions that we continue to run as regressions and um and that way we we grow our regression suite um over now we have i think almost eighty thousand tests in um the variable consistent variable sphere i see so 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 a follow-on question um, so, you know, at Aximize, we thrive on formal verification, and one of the foundational things we use is a system metalog assertion. So, does the verific parsers parse the assertions as well? Is um, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We parse the entire um, IEEE 1800 language. Right. Um, every, every, everything is parsed. It's put in a uh, parse tree, mm -hmm. which is a, 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 a syntax extracted uh, parse tree. Mm -hmm. And from there, people can do different kinds of elaborations. So so now I have my next question. So assuming that you were, um, because parsing is basically um, sort of dismantling the syntactic structure of something and putting it together in an abstract form for follow-on processing, is it possible that you could parse um, a, an assertion into two different abstract syntax trees? Or could you actually perform an optimization step after the parsing and you could actually have an optimized representation as well? Or every parsing step has a canonical abstract syntax tree and there's not much you can do? Um. Definitely can can optimize the assertions once they're in the um, abstract syntax uh, tree, mm -hmm. but that is that is up to our customers. Right, to, that's what I to actually that. to actually do that. Do that um, so. because some of them want to keep it as is, direct representation of the original 
um, syntax, yeah. and, and others like to have it in an optimized uh, right. format. Um, one option that we do have for customers that like that, um, we allow them to actually synthesize the assertion. Mm -hmm. And that is where we uh, built a finite state machine mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, out of the out of the assertion. Uh -huh. and, uh, that's that's not widely used mm -hmm. by our um, customers, but right. uh, but some of some some people do that. They like to, to take a look at that. Now, and that's a that, that's a complicated um, piece of software because an assertion can rapidly um, expand in uh, in memory and use up an enormous yeah. amount. Of Depends on what you do with that assertion, of course. Um, yeah. So it makes a lot of sense. Um, so in terms of your um, challenges on a year on year, what are your challenges? Are you seeing a lot of rapid SOC uh, development cycles actually uh, making some of the things you do on the parsing end, on the front end, a lot harder for you or easier for you? For example, this whole UPF thing is now an add-on from a low-power point of view. But I could imagine other verification concerns, design feature concerns such as functional safety or security may actually bring in more language constructs, uh, for example, into system Verilog. I mean, what kind of challenges are you grinding on year on year? Um, well, things that we definitely run into um, are runtime and memory consumption okay. on the large, large SOCs. Right. Mm -hmm. Some of our licensees, uh, we, we mentioned uh, Jasper Gold um, beforehand. Uh -huh. um, they, their customers, um, gigantic mm -hmm. designs. Mm -hmm. So we con constantly, uh, they get pushed by their customers, mm -hmm. and we get pushed by them mm -hmm. um, to improve on, on runtime mm -hmm. and uh, memory. And uh, obviously, where, where wherever possible, mm -hmm. we, we do so and. Mm -hmm. You get the position in the situation where actually the, the two R and D teams really start interacting as one. Mm -hmm. We are um, bouncing off ideas uh, to each other and say, "Hey, will this work? And will that work?" And some of them are very specific mm -hmm. to the implementation of that particular mm -hmm. EDA tool, and others then um, can be implemented inside Verific. And more of our other licenses have. Um, and the benefit of that uh, as well. Um, definitely a challenge is that uh, we do not only deal with the um, IEEE LRM, but we also at times have to deal with competing implementations by other tools. Uh -huh, I see. Okay. And so we, we mainly <laughs> look then at the three biggest simulators uh -huh. and some of the leading um, synthesis tools. Right. And these places um, have also quite often a long history of how they did things in the past. And they are not quickly going to change their front ends, um, even, even if they know that it is incorrect. Um, they say, well, this is the way it's, it, it is. And then you can be um, a little bit of a, of a hard nose and to say, well, it's too bad the LRM says ABC, so we're going to implement ABC. Um, but the end user, that doesn't help for the end user, right? Because they said, well, but we cannot change our RTL. Mm -hmm. um, so we get to the point where mm -hmm. we at, at times have to introduce um, compatibility switches 
um, so that we can uh, can match behavior by another tool. And um, and you cannot do that proactively because there is no description of that, right? You right. really have to wait until right. it's reported from the field, then we can look at it um, and see what we can do about it. Now, um, the, the big three EDA companies um, are very much aware of that uh, as well, and um, they're very supportive of us. So we have access to the simulators. Uh, so whenever we have these, these mismatches, we have the availability to, um, to check it uh, ourselves and, and confirm with the customer Mm -hmm. That that this is indeed the case, mm -hmm. and see what we can, what we can do about it. Mm -hmm. So it's all it's all in good spirits, but it is it is a challenge, and that makes it and that makes it where I previously said it's uh, sometimes feels like we're in a in a services industry. Oh yeah, I mean I, I because totally, it's not just yeah, one yeah, one totally product yeah. uh, that you shrink wrap itself. I mean practically, you know, the challenges you're describing are larger scale engineering challenges, and this is what makes engineering fun, right? So even though your product may be stable, you're now getting uh, performance issues on large designs or feature issues with respect to things not working on for some other customers who may be using competing tools and have different models. Um, I wanted to share something interesting you may not know um, as a user of formal tools. Um, I've seen Rarific compile a 1.1 billion gate design informal for me uh, where I was doing some functional verification um, and uh, it was quite an interesting uh, experience for me having to grind off um, a terabyte of uh, swap was consumed on my machine and about 128 gigs of RAM was very easily consumed. Uh, I think it took about 40-45 minutes uh, to compile a design of that size. Uh, you know, interesting things happen in verification as well, but you know, everything begins parsing so if i can't parse right. i can't do anything and i've certainly seen a big improvement in performance as an end user uh, of tools so, so I, I totally understand uh, all of the things that <laughs> you are mentioning because yeah. you know and, and, and i very much appreciate that feedback uh, by the way because that's something that we um, sometimes miss because we do not deal directly with the, the end user yeah um, so i was not aware that you have a billion gate design yeah. You still was able to run in forty five minutes. I think that's that's great feedback. Glad yeah, to, so uh, actually the, the limit, shared that. yeah, the limit was not reached in terms of uh, terrific necessarily. I think um, the formal tools that I use actually have a thirty two bit counter. And I think when they do reset analysis, uh, as uh, the design was growing in powers of two, after a certain point, the, the number of gate count <laughs> went over four point two million. And they started counting negatives, so they couldn't do reset analysis. <laughs> so, in terms of the methodology side, I wasn't limited. I think in terms of compilation, Verific was able to compile even bigger designs than 1.1 billion gates. Um, but I just couldn't do formal on that because of these yeah. little naughty issues. But hey, that that was a very useful um, insight into into verification. I was just looking at the clock, and it looks like we've uh, we've been having a lot of interesting uh, chat. So in the interest of time, let me um, wrap up our chat today. What I'd like to ask you, Mikhil, is you know a lot of our listeners are young professionals, um, undergraduate students, and for someone of your background to have come out of Poland, traveled to US, and done so many different things in 
electrical engineering and computer science. What would be your five tips if you wanted to give um, to the younger generation? Whether it could be career advice or engineering advice or anything else uh, that they could take home, what would that be? Ooh, those are, of course, always difficult because things change. But I would say always be, keep looking for something that, that, that is new and exciting. I have come to the conclusion that quality of work is extremely important. Uh-huh. I have also seen between myself and some of my colleagues of the same generation that um, some of them stayed very technical Mm -hmm. and some of them, like myself, moved more into a support, management, marketing, um, administrative role. And now that I'm 60 years old, I wish I'd stayed more technical. So that is, I would say, my biggest advice for um, the young generation. Whatever your career brings you, make sure that occasionally you, you tinker around with technology, write some cool. some Python scripts, um, keep, keep that uh, that knowledge. Uh, that's the one thing that I that I miss the most cool. in the, from the career. Mm-hmm. Any other tips you would like to give? No, I think that's, no? I think okay. that's plenty for now. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you so much. I think what you've offered today is a very interesting insight into a small company of 20 people um, with thousands of users of your products designing something foundational such as a parser, which actually affects almost the entire semiconductor design verification ecosystem. So it's a, it's a fascinating story, and I'm sure... People would love to find out more about Verific, although, as you said, you know, um, a lot of us are not direct customers of Verific tools, and it's the uh, it's the EDA um, mostly. Um, but thank you very much for your time today, Mikhail. Much appreciated, and uh, we'll stay in touch. It was a pleasure to uh, chatting with you, Ashish. Thank you very much. So, listeners, I hope you enjoyed our chat today. Do let us know by emailing me at info@axomize.com or uh, subscribing to our YouTube channel if you haven't already done that. So keep listening and keep learning as we are, and we'll be back shortly again. Thank you very much. 